Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Psalm or the Psalms, you take a right, um, so you'll go um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, so kind of tell you the the neighborhood that you're going to be in. We have been talking about different characters of the Bible. Last week we did Jonah, right? And so we're looking at some different characters, kind of working our way through different people that we see, both men and women in the Bible, um, and different prominent characters. So um, tonight we're going to be looking at the character of Daniel. As we've been doing in all these characters, we've been asking three questions. Remember, we're asking who are they as far as biographical information, daddy, mama, wife, husband, children, brothers, sisters, high school, social security number, things like that. So we're asking for biographical data, the first one. Then we ask, then we ask the question, well, why do we know them? So like, why do they stick out in the Bible as somebody that we've been paying attention to? Because there's a lot of names in the Bible that we don't even know about because we read it and we may have saw it, but there wasn't anything significant about it. So we're asking the question, who were they? Why do we know them? And then the last one, the third one we ask is, well, what lessons do they teach us? Because yes, we have God's Word as instruction and as guidance and as a uh, a series of a map, if you will, of how to live a life. But then we also have men and women that have come before us recorded in Scripture that have given us an example of good things, bad things, the way that they responded to God, the way that God responded to them. And we learn about God and we learn about ourselves by looking at some of the examples and the models that we have in Scripture. The reason why we know what it looks like to live the faithful Christian life is in part because we have the example of Jesus. And the example of Jesus is there and so that's a model for us. So that is why we're looking at these different characters. So we're in the book of Daniel. Anybody know how many chapters are in the book of Daniel. How many? Twelve. Twelve chapters, okay? So, uh, got the book of Daniel, so let's go to the first question. Who was Daniel? Anybody have anything they would like to share with the class having to do with who? I'm not asking why do we know him, okay? So, we'll get to the lion's den, we'll get to some other stuff later, but what do we know about him? He's what? Son of Judah. Son of who? Judah. Son of Judah. Okay, where do you see that at? In uh, verse 6. Verse 6. Okay. Verse 6. The tribe of Judah. Is that what you're saying? They're the tribe of Judah. Okay. What else do we know about him? He's in the Bible. Thank you, Miss Carol. Okay, they changed the name of Belshazzar. So why, so why do we call him Daniel 
and not Belshazzar. Okay? But then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the Babylonian names. And we use the Babylonian names talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we don't use the Babylonian name. We're talking about Daniel. Were them three Babylonians? They were not. So if you see down there in Daniel chapter 1, and uh, this would be verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs gave their names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So as these four Israelite youth show up in Babylon, um, the chief eunuch, which remember the eunuch was the guy that had been castrated, and that's so he wouldn't mess with the king's women. All right? Just that's just plain English. So the eunuch shows up, they show up and the eunuch says, well this was your name and I'm going to give you another name. I don't have an answer. Okay, I don't have an answer of why we use Daniel's Hebrew's name but we use the other three guys Babylonian name. I don't have an answer. It just has been something that has kind of interests me because you have all of all four of the names are given in the Bible and yet why in the world in my Sunday school class, why did Miss Ivalyn Powell choose to call Daniel Daniel and then Shadrach Meshach and Abednego. I don't understand that. When some of those names refer to pagan gods, and so taking down one. Actually, Daniel's Jewish name means God is my judge. Okay. But it's Babylonian name. Actually, means Bell, protector of life. Okay. So, kind of. Okay. Just different. Yeah, just different perspective. Okay. Alright, so that was that was a rabbit trail. I, I, I gotta be you guys gotta be careful about taking me off on these rabbit trails. We never we always run out of time. Alright, so we know he's from the tribe of Judah. Hurley said he's from the tribe of Judah. Talked about him getting another name. Matt said that when he got there to Babylon, he got a different name. Uh, what else do we know about him? Family wise. Anything? No. No. So there is nothing that I have found um, that I have found that is recorded of any other family. I haven't found anything recorded about a father, a mother, a brothers, sisters. Um, you will find in the book of Ezekiel there will be some reference to a person by the name of Daniel. Some commentators think it's the same guy that Ezekiel is referencing. Really, no way to know if that's the same Daniel because there's. As you get into scripture, some people have the same same name. When you get to the book of Matthew, he references Daniel, but he's referencing the prophet Daniel, which is who we're talking about. So we really don't see like sometimes you'll see in the, the first or second Chronicles, you'll see the genealogy. We don't have anything. So when the book of Daniel opens up, it opens up saying, "Hey, here comes Nebuchadnezzar, and he comes in and he uh, destroys or takes." Captive um, Israel and Jerusalem, and when he does this, he, um, amongst other people, he hauls these four young men off, and one of them is Daniel, and he brings them, and that's where the story starts. So I didn't find, and maybe if you found something, I'd love to see it, but I didn't find anything that would give us an indication of a mother, a father, brothers, sisters, wife, children, nothing. It has been suggested that potentially Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all 
four of them were made eunuchs when they got to Babylon. That has been suggested because based upon their service, based upon we don't ever see anything about any kind of marriages or any kind of children. So it has been suggested that when they brought them, one of the ways to keep them from interbreeding or one of the ways to keep them from, you know, infecting the Babylonian bloodline is castration and then you ain't got to worry about it, right? So that, that's been a suggestion, but we really have nothing to prove that. What do we know? Is there anything else that you might think of that we know that has a reference to maybe about Daniel's history, background, family history? Maybe like something in verse 3? Maybe of chapter 1? Maybe? You said royal? Yeah. No, nobility or royal. So it tells us in chapter 1 and verse 3 that when Nebuchadnezzar comes in, he takes exile. Now we know there's a whole group of them. Now this gives us a bigger picture about Jewish history. Alright? So let's, 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 let's just test. Maybe this is where these, this will come in, Mr. Anthony. So... The Assyrians come in and conquer the ten northern tribes in what year? 722 B.C. Alright, so they come in. Remember B.C., you're counting down, okay? So the Assyrians come in. This is Nineveh, so this would be the people that Jonah was all up in arms about. So the Assyrians came in. 722 B.C., they come in and they take captive the ten northern tribes. They take them off into exile. Some of those, they repopulate with Assyrians there in the northern part of what is modern-day Israel. They later, later become the Samaritans, which is why the Jews could not stand the Samaritans because they were the foreigners that were squatting on their property is the way they saw it and that's 1 Kings 16 and so that's where you get that division and that hostility because the, between the Jews and the Samaritans. All right, We really don't know the ten northern tribes that are lost in history. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know exactly when, if they came back, when they came back. History just stops recording what happened to the ten northern tribes. Then you have Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians then come down to the two southern tribes which would have been Judah and Benjamin known as Judah. This is where Jerusalem was at. And they come in and what year do they come in and take Jerusalem captive? Anybody remember? 605. 605 BC. So Nebuchadnezzar shows up and says, alright, I'm in charge. You're going to send your taxes to me. You're going to send me Christmas cards every year and uh, I'm going to be the one that sets the rules. So he does that and he takes a certain number of captives. This is where you have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is, this. this is 605. He takes them captive, hauls them back to Babylon. Well, he sets up a king there in Jerusalem that's supposed to be like doing everything that he said. Well, this king eventually is like, why am I paying attention to this guy that doesn't even live around here? So that king, there in Jerusalem, that had been set up by Nebuchadnezzar, he rebels. Nebuchadnezzar finds out about it and he's like, not happening. So then he goes back to Jerusalem, besieges Jerusalem, and in 586 B.C., breaches the walls, and destroys the entire city of Jerusalem. The temple that Solomon built, that's when that was destroyed in 586. So that's not the first time that Nebuchadnezzar had been there. It's actually at least the second time that he was there. First time he showed up, the Jews were like, Uncle, we give in. He said, okay, here's my rules. Here's my conditions. 605, he left. 586, 587, 588, he shows back up, lays siege to the town, Finally, through attrition,
magician wears him down, goes in and levels the place similar to 70 AD when they when Nero does that. So 586, they level the place. There's another wave of captives that are then taken to Babylon. So there's two waves of exiles, if you will. But then, think back, King Cyrus, then later on, four, at least four kings later, lets them return. Tracking? That makes sense? You following with me? So, Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1, this is 605 B.C. If you think, well, you know, I'm trying to make all of the timeline work. If you got one of those, that, that's where we're at. <clears throat> so this is the first wave. Um, so we know, according to chapter 1 and verse 3, that when he did this on the first wave, he took the royal family and those of nobility, which would lead us to believe that we don't know who, we don't know his daddy, we don't know his mom, we don't know his last name, but we would then, I think, be safe to assume that Daniel was part of the noble family or the royal family. He had some prominence, okay? He just wasn't the tallest kid in his class. He wasn't just the fastest kid in his class, okay? He didn't score the highest on the spelling test. There was something about him that Nebuchadnezzar said, I am taking these back to Babylon. That makes sense? So the idea, when you go back to the Babylonian culture, the idea that they had, and the Assyrians did the same thing, they thought that what they would do is they would take captives, the uh, people that lived in that area, they'd bring them to, let's say Babylon, let's just use this for example, they would re-educate them, and then they would teach them their ways, and then repopulate that area with people that had been trained in their sort of stuff, and then that is how they would assimilate conquering areas, right? So instead of just showing up and saying, now you're going to do it our way, no, they'd bring them back and they would not brainwash them, but they would teach them, they'd educate them, they would steep them in the traditions, and then when they went back, they would carry on that lineage and they would be loyal to the the Babylonians. And so that was the idea. Bring them in, educate them, teach them, do everything we want to do, and that way they're going to be on our side looking forward, is what he thought. So, Royal family, don't know anything about the family beyond just royal family nobility. Know he was from Jerusalem, knew he's from down in Judah, down in that area. We know he's from that area. I couldn't find anything else that talked about who he was. So, let's ask the next question. Why do we know him? So why does he stick out as somebody that you would say, I know the name Daniel? Because he got in that window and prayed. Okay. So he got in the window and prayed. Alright. Got thrown in the lion's den. Okay. Interpreted the king's dreams. Okay. Other ideas? Well, the writing on the earth interpreted the writing on the earth. Interpreted the writing. Alright. Any other ideas? Pop out, stick out. Those are all good and those are all right. Let's just look at them chronologically. So you start in chapter 1 and verse 17. 
you'll see throughout the book of Daniel, sometimes the camera lens will be focused just on Daniel, and sometimes it'll be focused just on the other three, and sometimes it'll catch all four of them in the same shot. Alright? This doesn't mean that one of them is gone or one of them is more important. Daniel is assumed to have been the author. He's assumed the one that wrote this, and so um, he is just giving the, the record, if you will. But it says in chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, As for these youth, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So it says that these four young men, for whatever reason, God chose to give them a great amount of favor because then they get taken captive, and we understand they're in their youth. Some people think that maybe they're 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, somewhere in here. They get plucked from their country. They get plucked from their homeland. They get taken several thousand miles, dropped down in Babylon, maybe castrated around this time, set in a foreign place with a foreign language, a foreign culture, a foreign context, and in the midst of all of that, it tells us in 17, in verse 17, God gave them learning and skill, and then Daniel specifically gave him understanding of all, in all, and you might circle that word all, it means all. It means all visions, all dreams, he had understanding. So when you look later in the book of Daniel, you're like, how did the guy do that? Because God did it for him. And why did God do it? Because God showed him favor. What did this lead to? This led to not only having a favor in the eyes of God, but then having a favor in the eyes of the king. So you look down in verse 20, and it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Because the favor of God was upon them, the king recognized the favor of God. And so not only were they favored in the eyes of God, but they were favored in the eyes of the king. Now you think you're in a foreign place, serving in a foreign government with a foreign king. You know the power that he has, and then yet you have the ability to find favor in all of these things. And so then it says in uh, chapter 2 and verse 48, the dream comes, remember? So the dream comes to Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't know what the dream is. He wants to know what the dream means. His other guys, his little flunkies, little minions around him can't do anything. Says, let's kill them all. Daniel's like, no, no, I got an idea. I'll interpret it. He gets in front of Nebuchadnezzar, interprets the dream. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But he interprets the dream. Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, you're gifted. Um, I'm going to promote you to the front of the class. So in chapter 2 and verse 48, it says, And the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar pretty much promoted him to second in command of the whole place. So, why did he get thrown in the lion's den? Because the other guys were jealous. They, they knew that Daniel was going to pray. And so they told the king. Was he still second in command at that time? Was he in second Yes. So the king was the first command. Well, the king was, but my, what I'm trying to lead to is that there were at least four different kings that Daniel served under. So whenever whenever you're reading through the story of Daniel, just keep in mind that you have Nebuchadnezzar. He's the first one. Anybody remember the name of the second king that took over after Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. 
Belshazzar, that's right. So Belshazzar, so this would be, uh, what is this, chapter uh, 5? Yeah, chapter 5, Belshazzar. Some people say it's the son of Nebuchadnezzar. Some people say it's the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, depending on how you interpret it. It could go either way, right? So you have Belshazzar. He comes on the scene. After Belshazzar, who comes into the scene? Darius. Darius, Darius, that's right. Darius is the one that has that is in charge whenever Daniel goes in line then. After Darius, who comes in the line? Cyrus. Cyrus. Right. Why does Cyrus matter? Because Cyrus is the dude that just had a decision one day. Hey, I got all these Hebrews sitting around. Let them go back and let them rebuild the temple. And then eventually let them rebuild the wall. And so that whole return of the exile that Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel had prophesied and said, this is what God's going to do. You're going to go in exile for 70 years at the end of 70 years, you're going to come back. You had this whole group of Hebrews that have then now been in exile for 68 years going, I thought God said 70 years, and how in the world is this going to happen when we keep having all these foreign pagan kings in charge of us? And then through the supernatural work of God, He puts us in Cyrus's mind. Cyrus is like, hey, let them go home. And they're like, huh. Cool. And all of a sudden, they go home, right? So when you're reading through Daniel, just keep in mind that there's at least four different kings that Daniel serves under. So when we see these different stories of Daniel, it helps if we put them in perspective of which king was in charge at which time. Tracking? Tracking with that? Alright? So, um, got favor from God, got favor from King Nebuchadnezzar, was a high official, and then you get over to chapter 5, and I think you talked about that, Charles, the handwriting on the wall. Okay, so he interprets some visions, that's in chapter 2 and chapter 3, that I think Matt was talking about. Then here comes the handwriting on the wall. Does anybody remember why the handwriting on the wall showed up? Because they were using the they were using the holy vessels, the sacred temple, from the temple, the same vessels that Solomon had built that were very valuable. When Nebuchadnezzar showed up, he's like, I'm going to take those. Those are mine. Those are mine. He sticks them inside of his, his, his cape or his, inside of his toga. He gets back there. Well, now they've been in storage. His son comes on the scene. His son wants to have a big party, which is not a moral party, all right? It's not a Jesus party, all right? This is a party, party, all right? That's what we're talking about here. And he wants something to drink out of. So instead of going to the store and getting some solo cups, he decides he's going to go in the store and he brings out all of these vessels that had been made hundreds of years before for a holy, sacred purpose. And he starts defiling and mocking the holiness of God by all the revelry and all of the debauchery that he was doing with these cups. And when that happened, God's like, no, no, no. And that's when the hand shows up. And the Bible said it was just a hand. This isn't Halloween. It was just a hand. And the hand writes on the wall, remember? And then Darius' knees start knocking. He's like, what do I do? What do I do? About that time, either his mother or his grandmother comes in the scene and says, quit being so scared. Go get this guy named Daniel. He used to interpret dreams for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel comes in says, this is what it says. What it says is, shame, 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 shame. You're going to die tonight. That's my paraphrase. It doesn't really say that. It doesn't really say that. It's my paraphrase. Okay? You're going to die tonight. And Darius is like, you're the man. Promotes him back to second in command. Alright? 
Darius promotes him back to second in command that night. But what else happens that night? He dies. <laughs> Can you imagine that? All right. So you're second in command of Nebuchadnezzar. New king comes on the scene. You get shuffled in the paperwork. You're now nobody again. Okay. Big knight shows up. You took the big chance. You told the king, King, shame, shame, shame. You're going to die tonight. Instead of you being beheaded, the king decided to promote you. You got promoted to second command. You can just imagine. He's like, well, this really isn't that cool of a deal because I just told you you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, so you can just imagine it really wasn't that big of a deal to Daniel. But that's what happens. It says in chapter 5 and verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. So then Darius the Mede is in command. And that is when um, Daniel, people around Daniel were now jealous of Daniel. That's what Miss Levita was talking about. They were jealous of Daniel. They're trying to find a way to get him in trouble. The only thing they could find out was that he was faithful to the God. And he would pray how many times a day? Three. three times a day. So three times a day, he would go up into his house, he'd open the windows facing Jerusalem, he'd get down on his knees and pray. So they concocted a plan, a little scheme, alright? They got a little scheme together and said, hey, we're going to make it illegal to pray to anybody but Darius, and we're going to make it illegal to pray to God. So then they passed this rule, if you pray to anybody except for Darius, you get thrown a lion's den. Uh, Daniel's like, don't care, goes back up, and the way the language gives that he went upstairs, alright, so he's upstairs, or at least on the second floor, and it said he opened his window towards Jerusalem, which would give me the indication there must have been a wall, okay, so it wasn't just a tarp over a flat top roof, okay, so there had been a closure or something, opens the window, he prays, and somehow they are spying, gotcha, gotcha, Throw him in the lion's den. What happens in the lion's den? And why were the mouth of the lions shut? What tells us in the Bible? I'm not. I'm not asking you trick questions. So it tells us. So this is why. This is why I encourage you to read your Bible. Because you just be surprised at the things you actually read if you read your Bible. So it says in chapter six and verse twenty-one. O king, I'm sorry, verse twenty-two. My God sent His angel and shut the lion's mouth, for they uh, and they have not harmed me. So he gets thrown in the lion's den. Okay, and then when he gets pulled out. And King Darius is like, how'd you do it? You know, looking for some lion taming tricks, looking for some little, remember Crocodile D and he did that whole deal? Remember that? You remember that? He don't even get out more. Okay. So he, I, I don't, he kind of did, kind of did that deal. Okay. So King's not sure. Daniel says, I know what happened. God sent an angel, shut the lion's mouth. I'm good. All right. Now, some people have said, oh, well, these must have been like baby lions. Some people have said, well, these must have been um, obese lions because they weren't hungry. Some people some people have said, well, they were confused lions. You know, maybe some people have said they were old lions and they lost all their teeth in their mouth and they were gum. You know, there's been all kinds of people that have tried to come up with an explanation. The problem is, is that it says down there in chapter 24... And the king commanded, and those men who had, brought, who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. Can you imagine being one of the magician's kids? I'd be mad at dad. I, I, would, I would just have something to say. And their children and their wives, and before they reached the bottom. So, 
not just the guys that were guilty, but the wives and the children, before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Here's, here's just how my imagination goes, okay? So I, I, I decide that I'm going to take John, and we're going to put John up above the ceiling, and we're going to drop him down on the floor. And the time it takes for him to drop, these lions had already broken every bone in his body. Violent. Violent. The other day, Luke had the refrigerator door open. And you know how those teenagers, they leave the door open while they're sitting there and they're looking at it and they're trying to think about what they had, what, what they were thinking about last night. And, and they got their head in the rear and they got the door open. And I come by and I bump the door back shut. And he goes, Dad, you violently pushed the door. And I was like, that's not violent. There's some lions over there in Babylon that they know what it's like to be violent. Dad just bumping the door is not violent. We need to work on our definition, at least our dictionary, because we're using the same words we're using in different dictionaries. we got to be careful. So this is how violent those lions work. So I mean, you just imagine uh, you're going to drop and however long it's going to take for you to drop. Uh, a second, maybe. second and a half, maybe. And in that time, it said that you had the magicians, their wives, and their kids. So it wasn't just one guy, right? And it wasn't just some old guy with a bunch of clothes on, so he kind of flapped down there like a parachute. All of them, there was that many lions in there, they overpowered and broke all their bones into pieces. So that is chapter 6. Chapter 7 through chapter 12 gets a little bit more confusing. And just to let you know, we're not going to talk about chapter 7 through chapter 12 tonight. Because I'm even oftentimes confused. It's what they consider to be apocalyptic or prophetic literature. So when you look at the book of Daniel... First six chapters, you could even say chapter 1 through maybe even chapter 7, is history or narrative, talking about what happened historically. You get to chapter 7 through chapter 12, and Daniel starts having these visions. And he starts having these dreams about the things that are to come. And he starts having these dreams about things that are to come in his lifetime, things that are to come in centuries down the road, things that are to come that have still yet not happened. And there is a lot of discussion. And if you want, I've got books of people that think they know exactly what Daniel was talking about, that put it on paper, then they got paid to publish that, and people like me had to buy them as far as for school, and had to read it. So if you, I'd love for someone else besides me to be able to have an opportunity to use them. So I've got books, and they talk about that. You could come up to me and say, hey Spence, how do you look at this? How do you look at that? I've got my opinions, and I'm more than happy to tell you my opinion. But I want to be very careful my opinion your opinion have the same amount of value. Because ultimately, God's Word means what God intends for it to mean. And there are opportunities, greater opportunities for you and I to misunderstand or to misinterpret something or see something through maybe a light that God didn't intend it. So we're not really going to spend a lot of time in chapter 7 to chapter 12 um, because that really goes into the prophetic where he starts seeing in the future. So let's go to the third question. What lessons does Daniel teach us? Pray. Pray. Okay. God's in control. God's in control. Alright. Being obedient will keep you from getting ate by lions. Being obedient will keep you from getting ate by lions. Or burned up in a furnace. Okay. 
That you can still be political while still holding your beliefs as well. Okay, you can still be political while still holding your beliefs. Yes, ma'am? Does that mean I can jump into a fire pit? No. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. We're not testing the Lord your God. We are in America. Whatever the Spirit would lead you to do, Miss Ashley. Wasn't there a key word as he gave all to Daniel to know, though? No. <laughs> so. Sure. So I think he would know so that he wasn't hmm. right? worried about what he was in. Okay. I'm praying to a matter who's watching and. Our sin affects our loved ones. Okay. Faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God. Okay. So, and that's that's one of the first things I key on. So, if you go back to chapter one, and you look at chapter one, and you look at verse eight. There's a word there, and I don't know, I'd be interested in maybe if you have a different translation, if your translation says a different word there. But if you remember... These four guys, teenage years, freshman, sophomore, Hebrew high, hanging out. Here comes Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, you're going with me. And, I mean, and now they get forced marched all the way to Babylon. I lean towards the fact they castrated them and they did ban them. Okay, and there probably wasn't a lot of antiseptic. It was probably next. And yes, sir. I have a question about that comment you just made. Hebrew high? That was just me. About being becoming unit. Uh-huh. Then does that go against Deuteronomy 23 where no man whose vessels have been crushed or penis has been cut off may enter the Lord's assembly? It would. It would. And from what I understand, um, that would refer to if you're a Hebrew in Jerusalem, it was not to mutilate yourself or to devour yourself. In this instance, if it happened it would be because the Babylonians had done it and it wasn't of their choice, but it wasn't of their will. And that then takes us to like Acts chapter 8 when the eunuch is in the chariot reading the scroll of Isaiah. What he's reading is, as Isaiah is saying similar to Deuteronomy 23, is that what you said? Where And so the eunuch is sitting there going, hey, how am I right before God? Because I'm a eunuch and so therefore I'm disqualified from coming to the court of God. And that's when Stephen gets up there with the chariot and starts explain to the eunuch that now under the new covenant, you're no longer defined by your physical condition. It's your spiritual condition. I think it would apply there, Matt. Um, what I see is it being different because I don't think they volunteered. I don't think it was an elective. I don't think they went down to the, the uh, eunuch parlor and picked out something on the wall. I mean, I, don't, I, I, I think it was something that was done as far as part of their captivity. Maybe, maybe not. That, that is just kind of a, a thought that people have about that. So you've got them in, Neb- you've got them in Babylon. Just try to put yourself in that position. What do you do? Put your head down and you get quiet and you just get along. You just go with the flow. What does it say in chapter 1 and verse 8? It says, but Daniel, in my translation, it says resolved. What else do you have? Determined. Determined, purposed. Excuse me, Ms. Carol? Purposed in his heart. Okay. Those all mean the same thing. But it's the idea that Daniel gets there and Daniel says, I know where I'm at, but I know who I am. And who I am is more important than where I'm at. 
And I am going to have resolve that I am going to worship God, not just with my thoughts, but I'm going to worship God with my life, no matter where I'm at. So if you read on there in chapter 1, he goes to the eunuch and says, hey, you know what? That food that you're giving us, we can't eat it because of our dietary laws, going back to the Old Testament, going back to the Deuteronomy and going back to Leviticus. And it says there in the text, and I don't have time because I'm quickly, I don't have time, but it says the eunuch, God gave Daniel and the other three favor in the eyes of the eunuch. So now the eunuch is sympathetic. So the eunuch's not like, you're going to take it anyways and gets the drenching hose out and start pumping with mineral water. I mean, it's not like it's not like that. It's like all of a sudden God had given, they had favor in the eyes of God. They had favor in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. Now they had favor in the eyes of the eunuch. And so the eunuch says, well, let's see if we can work something out. He gives them the vegetables and the waters for this series of time. Finds out, hey, you know what? Yeah, this is healthier for you than it is for other people. And lets them continue that diet. Why? Because Daniel said not, hey, please, or can I pay you, or can I do something? It says Daniel was resolved. He was purposed. He was determined. Why does that matter to me? Because it doesn't matter where I'm at. What matters is who I am. Because our circumstances will change and our environment will change. But our environment does not dictate our obedience and faithfulness to God. And and, and I see this. I I see it in myself. I see it in my children. I I see it in the community where the, the prevailing attitude is what people start to assimilate or start to attract to. School bus. I've been driving the school bus in these afternoons because Terry won't do it, and, I, and I've been I've been riding the school bus, and it is typical. You get you get fifteen kids on there that'll behave, and then you put one boy that came out of Miss Bailey's class on there. <laughs> they always come out of Miss Bailey's class for whatever reason, and the and the whole school bus starts to act like that one kid, and you think, oh my gracious, how can Miss Bailey have a kid like that? That is just life in general. What do we do? We start looking around the lowest common denominator and for whatever reason we all start to lower our standards to that lowest common denominator. And that is where we've got to remember it doesn't matter where we are. It matters who we are. So Daniel, right there in verse 8, Daniel said, I know I'm in Babylon and I know that I'm under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar and I know that I answer this eunuch and I know that I'm in a foreign place and I don't have any of my posse around me anymore. But Daniel said, I am resolved, I am determined, I am purposed that who I am is more important than where I am. And you said, we need to tell that to those kids down there. No, we need to tell that to us. Because we got a lot of adults that are running around that are more, more directed by where they are than who they are. So Daniel gives us this example and he says, I am resolved. And you think, oh, well, Spence, so am I. I am resolved. Except for this resolve, this determination, this purpose in Daniel, it then produced fruit. So Peter said this, this faithfulness, this faithfulness then produced fruit. I could take you, if we had more time, I could take you example, 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 example in the Bible where you see the faithfulness, the faith of people produced fruit. I do not know of, off the top of my head, an example where someone had faith commendable by God with no fruit. Jeremiah? Well, but God still found favor. And God still said He was doing the right thing. I, you know, but we are in a, in a time where we think fruit is unnecessary. And I'm not saying it's a works thing, but if we're being faithful to God, there should be fruit of that faith Amen. in our walk. 
There should be some fruit. There should be something. And I'm not saying your fruit has to look like someone else's fruit. And I'm not saying that your fruit has to, has to be in competition with someone else's fruit. But there should be fruit. Where do we see this in the life of the Daniel? Well, okay, so chapter 2. Remember, God had given Daniel the wisdom and the understanding to be able to know all the visions and all the dreams. Okay, So chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nobody can interpret the dream of all the homies that Nebuchadnezzar has around him. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to kill them all. Alright? Word gets to Daniel, they're going to kill all the wise men. That included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel, and you can go back and read this, Daniel goes to the eunuch and says, hey, tell the king I can interpret his dream. He hadn't heard the dream. No one had read read it to him. Nothing. He gets in front of Nebuchadnezzar. This is chapter 2 and verse 31. He gets in front of Nebuchadnezzar and he says to Nebuchadnezzar, You saw, O king, and behold a great image. And then he goes off to describe the dream. Nebuchadnezzar did not say, Hey, this was the dream. Now tell me what this dream means. Nebuchadnezzar had the dream in his head, but because of his favor and because of his faithfulness to God, God, and this is my terminology, downloaded that whole dream inside of Daniel's head. So Daniel looks at the king and says, this is what you saw. And so there's no doubt where that fruit came from. It came right from God. Now, is that saying that you and I can go around and start saying, I can see the Powerball and the lotto numbers? No! But does it mean that we're being faithful to God It's going to produce fruit in our lives? Yes. Well, Spence, how do I know if I'm producing fruit? Well, you can, oh, that's a whole other conversation. But you go back to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 2, chapter 3, somewhere in there. Uh, Galatians 5 talks about how do we know if we're living a faithful Christian life. Over and over again, I can take you to say, this will be evidence of faith in your life. If you have, if you say you have faith, but there is no fruit, we have a problem. Because the two are not compatible. So, you see this resolve that Daniel had, that's chapter 1. You see the faith that then produces fruit. So, um, Daniel says, I'm going to show you the faithfulness I have for God. This would, and I just, think, I just think, the intestinal fortitude of this Daniel to look at the king and say, this is what you saw. And if you read the dream in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 31 and on, it wasn't like just your regular old standard, you know, you're awesome, everybody likes you, you're, the, you know, you're on a ticker tape parade. I mean, this is like a really crazy dream. It's like one of those dreams you have after you ate a whole pound of bacon, a gallon and a half of ice cream, and some orange juice. And then you got indigestion and you're not doing well at night, right? You never had those things? Okay, maybe just me. Maybe just me. All right, all right. But it's that idea. I mean, he just said, here's your dream. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, yeah, he, you're, you say you are. Here's the last one. I got two minutes. Here's the last one. Go to chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 16. They take Daniel, praying to God. Take him down in front of Darius. Darius says, Daniel, I've already made the rule. I gotta keep my word. I gotta keep the rule. You gotta go to the lion's den. I go, assuming it's evening time, into the daytime, they throw Daniel in the lion's den. They didn't just throw him in the lion's den and then life 
sit around the outside with popcorn waiting to see what happens. What does it say they did? It said they took him and they put him in the lion's den. And then this is chapter 6 and verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So here's, here's how it works in my brain, in my sanctified imagination. Daniel's down in this pit, down in this hole. The stone, whether it's stone over the mouth like a jar, maybe the front of the cave. I, he's sitting in there with all the lions. And there's enough lions in there to kill the guys that are coming after him. Okay? So it's not just one line. It's not a chained line. It's not a toothless line. All these lines are in there. And Daniel's sitting there. And he's watching the stone cover the mouth. Now here's how my sanctified imagination works. Because he's watching the stone. Any kind of daylight, any kind of moonlight, any kind of light about anything is now being blocked out because of the stone that's being moved in front of the mouth of the entrance. So now, as that stone is moved and then as it was sealed, that is the way that they would secure the stone to make sure that no one could come along and crack it open or move it open. That king would put it there and say, no one is allowed to break the seal unless I give the command. So it was moved in front and it was sealed. It's similar like when Jesus was put in the tomb and the Pharisees were said, hey, you go and you seal it. And it's this idea, whether it's plaster, whether it's glue, maybe they took caulking, I don't know. They had a way of sealing it. So now you got Daniel, and he's in this den. The, the stone is covered. All the light is gone, and he is sitting in the den. And this is how my brain works. He's sitting in the den, and what does he hear? The lions. And what does he see? Can't see anything. What does he hear? Lions. Who's there? Who's there? God. God. It doesn't matter what pit you find yourself in. God is always there. And it doesn't matter if that's a pit that you put yourself in or if it's a pit that your circumstances have put you in or the pit that your integrity has put you in or a pit that people around you have put you in. I don't know what that pit is. We could spend another 30 minutes talking about everybody's different pits. I just want you and I to remember tonight, God is there. So it doesn't matter how dark it is because God is there. It doesn't matter how much light is removed because God is there. It doesn't matter how many lions are there or their 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 breaths per second or the the odor of their breaths or how close they were. It didn't matter if they were far or if they were near. It didn't matter if he had lions all the way around him. It didn't matter. None of that mattered because the only thing that mattered was God was there. Sometimes we forget well, God was in control, but sometimes we forget when we get in our circumstances, we forget so, that God is there. So, or we doubt that He's there. We doubt it, or we get in there and we're not willing to just wait and trust upon God. We think that we've got to start making decisions. We think that we've got to start taking things in our own hands. We think, well, I need to build a fire, and well, I need to go over in the corner. Well, I need to start seeing if I get some cell phone reception on this phone that I snuck in. I, we, we start thinking all of these things. And we forget that God is there. And so I know I'm out of time, but I just I want us to remember when we think about Daniel, we think about the examples that Daniel gives us, the, the, the models, the lessons that he teaches us. 
that God is there. And I don't think any of us can fully grasp the emotions that Daniel was facing in that lion's den. And there's no way that any of us, I don't think, no, I know, there's, I know, there's no way that any of us can fully relate to what he was feeling. He's an old man at this time, didn't deserve any of it. God, why have you done this to me? God, I don't, I haven't done anything wrong. You can imagine all the pity party that might have come, or he might be mad at those people, and now the anger and everything's overwhelming. He gets down there and he starts trying to count lions while they're moving the stone. Who knows? But God is there. And so it doesn't matter. I can't see him sitting there counting lions. I don't know what he is doing. I guarantee you, if I'm putting down there, I'm going to start looking for the biggest line who I'm going to punch in the mouth first. Yeah, That's what I'm looking for. Well, before they got the stone, I'm looking for which line I'm going to take out first. I, I'm thinking defense. God is there. So please remember, it's not where you are, it's who you are. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org, please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.